Oh, hello and welcome to The Breadwinners. I'm Jennifer Owens. And I'm Raquel Allison. So this is the show where we talk about everything work and family, which means life. And you know what else means life, Raquel? Rating and reviewing our show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we know that everyone says this, but it's true and it really does help. So if you could take a moment to say something nice about us or give us some stars, that would be awesome. Awesome. And it really makes a difference. It really does. And then also there is our merch and our socials. Yes. So take a look at the link in the episode description. And like Jennifer said, on our socials to check out our merch. I've got my sweatshirt and my t-shirt and all my breadwinners stuff. We would love for you to pick some up. Uh, It makes a great new year, new you gift. Oh, good one. (laughs) Yeah. So this season, as you guys know, we're trying something new. Each week we're looking at a concept or a trend, something we just all know about working in women. And we're kind of trying to track it back to where it all starts. And so this week, it's my turn to blow blow Raquel's mind with my (laughs) findings, or at least uh, mildly surprise her with my abounding knowledge. So are you ready to get down to it, Raquel? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So... Today, we're going to take a deep breath and find balance, as in work-life balance, which I believe has been a problematic term since day one. (laughs) Right. Or maybe I'm already revealing my bias in this discussion. But so what do you think about the whole phrase work-life balance? Caliost, our friend Caliost, has always talked about work-life integration instead of work-life balance. And I have used that term. I think we don't have balance. It implies that, that there, you know, I think it's kind of a, an, a moving, it's, I, the analogy I always use is Tetris. Like it's just all, you know, it's all moving. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. There's just a lot to, you know what I like about that Tetris uh, thought, because I have a son that used to play Tetris obsessively, is that it speeds up, overwhelms, and then doesn't work and you fail. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right? And so I feel like that's really what it looks like. So to imply balance is very misleading. But then when I try to use the term work-life integration... Which we're going to talk a little bit about in this discussion. But yeah, it does not roll off the tongue. It does not. And people have no idea what I'm talking about. They're (laughs) like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, work life. They're like, is work. So anyway, I have more to say, but it sounds like we've got a lot. We've got a lot to cover, man. Well, so can you define what is meant by work-life balance? I mean, there there Um, is a sense of it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's sort of an equal attention and energy paid to work and to life, right? Right. And it kind of accommodates, you're able to sort of accommodate your life needs at, you know, at work and vice versa. You can accommodate your life to focus on work. Here's the uh, quote that I found. Kalioth and Bra in 2008 wrote, there's no cohesive agreed upon definition of work-life balance in the literature. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> you got uh, nothing, baby. Yeah. However, the common understanding is that there are at least two domains in life, work and personal, and both required attention and investment, but not at the sacrifice of each other. So that's, you know, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That, All right. We, we can do that. All right. Sure. So I was thinking about this and looking up all this stuff about work-life balance is that that it has survived attempts to dethrone it with things like work-life integration. And then, and it's really, it's survived. (laughs) I I totally want to say something about cockroaches, but it's really survived even larger attempts to roll it up into corporate social responsibility and diversity. Like back in the day when I first started at Working Mother, and I I know these people still exist, but work life, like there was a director of work life or whatever. And then by the time I had left, like 10 years later, work life had kind of like disappeared. In fact, I think they renamed the work life Congress, which was the big gathering to call it something else because it had moved on. I don't know. I guess people didn't like that. So I don't know. I'm going to tap you on your expertise on that score, but I wanted to get a little history of where the phrase comes from. So yeah, that's my go back in the midst of time. So back when the government first started tracking workers hours in 1890, and I'd like side note, every one of my episodes starts in the 1800s for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) So full-time manufacturing employees work a mere hundred hours each week, just, you know, getting the work done or 14 or 16 hours every day. And this was particularly hard on the kids, right? On your family. Why? Because the kids were working too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Yeah, real hard. So the, uh, uh, there was pressure from labor organizers, and then there were changes, like the you know famously the Ford Motor Company established the eight-hour day. And so there's all this push to get the working conditions improved and to protect workers from schedules that endangered their health and safety. And so, but even before that, in 1817, Robert Owen, again, that is a Welsh name, Owens with an S is an Irish name, but Welsh manufacturer, labor rights activist, Robert Owen coined the phrase, eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest. Right which immediately did not take root in the UK, but the American workers adopted that slogan mm-hmm. following the Civil War. So, you know, 1817, now we're into the 1860s. So, you know, we're really moving faster. We're <sighs> whipping through this history. So, <laughs> right. so the National Labor Union asked Congress in 1866 to pass a law mandating the eight-hour workday. And that failed, as we often hear, you know, paid leave and the like, that these things have to be put forth and fail over and over again. But that effort in the 1860s put labor reform on the political map. And there's progress, there's ups and downs, there's a worker strike until 1869, President Ulysses S. Grant issues a proclamation that guarantees an eight-hour workday with no cut in pay for government workers, which seems that's... That seems to be true. I, like we see a lot of things that the federal government makes these changes, and then eventually, the rest of the country follows. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that that seems like it's a it's a common thing. So yeah. So then in the twenties, like we're going like thirty years later, Henry Ford creates the five day forty hour workday, but 
uh, still worker strikes and pushes and the like. And in 1838, Congress passes the Fair Labor Standards Act, which limits the work week to 44 hours or 8.8 hours a day. Uh huh. And then two years later, it's amended to be a 40 hour work week. And ding dong, work life balance is the law of the land. And like Dorothy and her friends at the puppy field, we skip happily along until nap time. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. how it works. And that's yep. it, it, totally exactly how it works. So, so then work life balance. We're going to fast forward again. And so now we're in the 1970s because as with all the things we talk about, it's the influx of professional women, mostly white women into the workforce. And so uh, the concept of work-life balance was initially framed as one concerning work and family. This was partly due to concerns around women joining the workforce, which was primarily comprised of men whereas women were often employed informally up until this point. So women ah. could inf- engage in formal employment. The result was they had to juggle work and family life responsibilities because it was the working moms and it was no one else was going to help with all that home stuff they were doing when they were unpaid to do all the home stuff. Right. So, and at that point, I think that's where we start calling it a juggle but it always seemed to me more like a trade-off, you know, you're either doing one or the other. And so I don't know, I like, what does this come to mind for you? Like the whole juggle and the, the, the stress of one against the other. There's actually some good academic research about this. Then they talk about the difference between like, they look at the concepts of work, like interference, which is essentially Ooh. what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Is this kind of these two pieces hitting up against each other and it leads to fatigue. It leads to irritability. It leads to depression. I think the juggle and the interference is something that we, we have to manage. I I don't know. The juggle to me is sort of offensive, like the (laughs) juggle. Yeah. The juggle, you know, as if like, it's a fun magic trick. Yeah, that- you know, I just—I was just saying to myself, like I always thought of it as a fun word, but it's—it's it's really a terrible word, it, when, right. you know, because when you're dropping something, you're dropping something like your kid's publishing party or right. your own medical checkup appointments. Those are the things we're we're dropping here. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think the assumption that yeah, no, we're dropping. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, so the employers versus employees, I found a survey of almost 1,100 professionals and 116 HR staffers about workplace flexibility and found that 45% of employed respondents said they wanted more time for personal activities. And 67% of the HR people said they thought workers already had good work-life balance. (laughs) Just wondering... Why the gap there? Is that just driven by representing the company? Or they already know how much they fought for something, some accommodation from the company. (laughs) They're like, please, why aren't you happy? We got you this. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think when you, I think there's a lens of like, let's look at the policies, right? And the policies are generous. And I think it's, there's sort of less, an eye to kind of what's the culture here. 
and I don't know. I, like, I, I can't, you know, other places are worse, you know, like why, you know, look at all we're doing. I, I, there must be a bit of that. Cause I do yeah. know that in my years of working with the people who focus on the work life or they, they have different titles, you know, like the workforce person or whatever, who are looking at the benefits and the policies, they work really freaking hard to try to like socialize this stuff, push it through to the C-suite, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, and uh, so, yeah, I guess I could see a little bit of that, where that gap comes from. Like, do you know how hard I worked? So you, you could, <laughs> you could do whatever. True, so. true, true. So this all brings us to work-life integration, which, okay. um, so back in the day, KPMG's um, super smart executive director of culture. See, there's another interesting title. So Barbara Wankoff, yep. she was sitting next to me at a, at a working mother event. And I, I'm going to paraphrase her in a way that she would never speak because she is super smart, <laughs> classy. She said, work-life balance is a crock. It's work-life integration. And so right. I'm telling you, she blew my mind. I had spent like five years writing about work-life balance. And I was like, and kind of fighting against it, but, you know, advocating for more, you know, all that kind of stuff. So what is work-life integration? Is that a question for me? Yes. <laughs> I think it's not, you know, start like building on the definition of work-life balance that we went to earlier. I think it's it's kind of taking out the implication that there's some equilibrium to be to be yeah. found, right? And that it's like the reality is not juggling it's tetris right and it's like we've got to fit these pieces together and that might come at one might come at the expense of another but the idea that there's this equilibrium is kind of outdated yeah i saw this uh how, wh what do you think about this definition work-life mm -hmm. integration creates a mindset that allows an individual to look at the big picture and a synergistic interaction of all these components. There's not a sense of competing elements of work and life that must be evenly distributed. And that's Michelle oh. Marquez, Associate Dean of Human Resources and Administration at the UC Berkeley Haas School of Business. So I like it that it creates a mindset that allows for that. Because, you know, I guess that was always one of my issues with work life integration. It's like, aren't we all just doing that by normal course? personally, individually, but to, to allow for that mindset to exist at work. Yeah. That takes some work, I would think, like on the employer's part. Yeah. I, um, I think it does. I like the, the, I like that idea of a mindset. Yeah. I think that it comes across in the small, and this is kind of the piece that I think is difficult maybe for some, for those HR folks in that survey to understand is work-life integration, kind of the mindset of integration doesn't come through in policies. It comes yeah. through in kind of the attitudes about what is acceptable to do with your time. <laughs> right. Right. And I think, and you know, that comes with, that comes around a question of like, it's my kid's publishing party. And I need to go. And, you know, the CEO saying, like, of course you do. See ya. Right? right. Like, that's how it. Or lying about it and feeling anxiety the whole time. Y you right. know, like, oh, I, 
I have a doctor's appointment and not saying that it's actually the kindergarten publishing party. I don't know anybody who would have done this, but, and kind of feeling like, Ooh, I dodged a bullet. You know, like you made it to the party. Nobody emailed you a thing. Nobody was looking at you for you and you got into work and everything was okay. And it's like constantly a like, survive that one, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, And like that, that's part of the, it ties into the authentic self conversation we often have, right? That can I just say that this is what I'm doing? Right. Maybe. And I think the larger idea of mental health too, because those were all, I never thought about it in terms of taking care of myself. It was all about where I needed to be for kids. That's where the stress point was because it wasn't about me. It was about them and all that sort of jazz. So yeah. I have not worked in cultures, I think, that would say, you need to sleep in, you know, like just you need yeah. to, a little extra sleep. Like, oh, is that what you did? How fine. Good for you. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I know laughs> just, ha! Yeah. I think, um, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I've worked in cultures like that. And I think, I think one of the, one of the important components of that is not only, you know, being mindful of what someone's, you know, choices are to take care of themselves outside of work, but also to say, Hey, you know what? You can't keep working this way. Right. (laughs) You're, you're going to burn out that kind of awareness and that comfort level of saying like, it's not, you know, my workers well-being is, is paramount. And obviously we have to get the work done, but let's, you know, let's be mindful long term, right? You know, like, I want you to stick around, which, you know, because you're a pro leads right into this next topic of why should we care? And what is it? And how does this all lead to burnout? And I'm giving you a quote. Okay. Here you go. I remember this quote. Oh, Callie. So this was by Callie in 2013 talking about work-life fit. Oh yes, she calls it work-life fit. Sorry, Callie. That's her her phrase. Without the clear lines between work and life, we're not sure how to do our jobs well and get to the gym, meet a friend for coffee, attend a networking yeah. event, or even get a haircut. We fail to communicate and collaborate with each other. So what we want to accomplish on and off the job gets done in a way that works for everyone. She's such a smarty pants. I mean, she is such a smarty pan because that's what it is. It's like, it's I, even uh, like I've had jobs where getting coffee with someone, which is a networking play. I feel anxiety about it. Ooh, they're going to wonder where I am. What am I doing? And I'm like, I, and I'm the boss of people, but I have bosses, <laughs> you know, like, right. Right. And, and it, it, that anxiety is just crushing, you know, it just, yeah. and so yeah. uh, burnout. The World Health Organization has actually defined it as a chronic workplace stress characterized by feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job. I wouldn't know. And (laughs) reduced uh, professional efficacy. So, ha, burnout. I mean, definitely we have the COVID, uh, like the COVID, it's like I'm going to put an article on it's the COVID that that is adding to the burnout. Yeah, but I think it's always been here, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think we were burnt out before. Yeah, 
And then we hit COVID. And then, like, I think the stats back that up. Working, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, working above and beyond kind of the expected hours and then burning out. And then we hit crazy times. <laughs> We've got burnout on top of burnout. We're bur- yeah, burnout pros. Pretty much. Pretty well, much. Well, so I'm going to hit you up on all that and I'm going to do a lightning round. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. How long is the average workday today? So like how much are we working yeah. or how much is the expectation that we're going to No, work? how long are we working? Oh, 11 hours. Ooh, wow. You, how's your job going? <laughs> <laughs> it's 8.8. We're back to the ruling in 1938. Oh, right. Okay. So the but average American like- is working 44 hours per week or 8.8 hours per day. I think that that feels very right, you know, because that's an average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A, na- a 2014 National Gallup poll put the average number of hours at 47 hours per week or 9.4 per day, with many saying they work 50 hours per week. So BLS says 44, Gallup says 47. Got it. Okay. Okay. So what percentage of us are feeling burned out? I have an Indeed survey. What's the burnout rate? 30 higher. Oh, higher, Lower. my friend. Higher. Cold. Uh, You're cold. <laughs> cold. 50. You're close. 56. 52. But oh. 52, over half, 52% of survey respondents are experiencing burnout in 2021, up from 43 who said the same pre-COVID. Yeah. We're going in the wrong no, direction. Which No, we are going in the wrong direction for sure. But totally understandable. Like, let's blame you for your burnout. Among all respondents, 80% believe COVID has impacted workplace burnout, though how and to what extent that varies. 67% majority say burnout has worsened, though 13% believe it has gotten better. I'd like to meet those jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of thoughts about, you know, you and I have been talking a long time about the lessons we can learn from this and, you know, this moment and what work from home looks like and all that. And then the minute that uh, we won't go down this rabbit hole too much, we can save that for another show. But the minute that things were looking up, uh, you know, it was a push to get people back. It's like, guys, there are lessons. You're ignoring the lessons. But outside of that, I thought we'd look at what where work-life balance and the phrase is going. And I thought we'd, we'd, I'd send you this quote. It's a long one, but Oh, Joan C. Williams. Yes. Joan C. Williams, the Donian, is that how you say a word? What's she's the empress of work life. (laughs) And so I thought I'd have you uh, say where she thinks work life is going. It's funny though. I have a funny Joan C. Williams story. And this was true of me and Callie at, at first too. I like, I felt like I was like meeting. Oh, I don't know. yeah, like Bruce Springsteen or something. Yeah, yeah like oh my, god, like, oh my god, oh my god, such a work life geek, such a work life geek. So we propose that organizational change to reshape workplace time norm for professionals has been stalled by two psychological processes. The first is that critical social identities are forced on the job, core identities of what it means to be a good worker, a good man, or a good woman, and a good person. The second, resulting from the first, is that 
any proposal to redefine work is profoundly threatening to people whose identities have been forged around the old way of doing it. These psychological processes need to be studied by psychologists. Until they are, the work family field will have less impact than it should, helping to update the 21st century workplace for the 21st century workforce. So we're a bunch of Puritans who define ourselves by work. Yeah. Right? Isn't that what she said? Like, until we kind of acknowledge and fully look at the field through the idea that, because, you know, you go to a party, so what do you do? You know, like that whole, and you've seen people write about this, that like we should define ourselves in different ways, but it's real hard when you're asked, what do you do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I feel it even with what do you do and who do you do it for? Right. Like if I've, well, okay, well, I'm doing my own thing and I'm, you know, like, why am I explaining all this to you? (laughs) Right. Right. So Yeah. yeah, that we need to acknowledge that the psychological processes need to be studied, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so, we do. We yeah. do. And I think there are folks who are starting to, but yeah, I definitely agree. And thus, we still use the phrase work-life balance because it's it's easy to say. Balance is an easier word than integration because that forces you have to f- kind of figure out what it all means. But yep. in the end, it's all burnout. <laughs> I think that's the end. Yeah, yeah. No, I I hear that. And our friend Callie Yost, and I, again, apologize for thinking that she talks about integration. She does talk about fit. That is a catchy phrase right there, work-life fit. Yeah, it truly is. And I think that sometimes things don't fit, (laughs) and sometimes they do. So I think it's a great great phrase, so we can can celebrate that, that phrase, too. And thank people like Joan C. Williams and Callie Yost and yourself for like looking at these issues and talking about them because especially when you're in the true stresses and you're veering on burnout or you're in burnout, you can't look outside yourself. It's it's really so individualistic. The pressure is on you and you feel every time you drop the ball in your juggle. You also celebrate when you actually, you know, like, woo, look at that. I got, I was so productive today. I got, you know, the doctor's appointment scheduled and I did this and I dealt with that crisis at work and, you know. Right. Like it's, but we need uh, you thinker types to help us because we're just stuck in it for ourselves. We're just, yeah, we're just overwhelmed by this. And I think Joan's point is very right because we also define ourselves by how good we are at working, you know, and supporting our families and and the like. So, well, so that's, that's that. Do you have any thoughts to close us out? To close us out, I think one of the things that Joan, I think it's Joan C. Williams talks about, but, but we've heard a lot about is this question of not only do we define ourselves by how we are on the job, but there's still this concept that persists of what is an ideal worker, right? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Yeah. And I think we have to keep, you know, there's a whole, could be a whole other conversation, this yeah. concept of ideal worker, but how do we push against that is really what what we're talking about here. How do we push against this idea that there's somebody who is going to give it all to the workplace. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Ideal worker. Let's challenge well, it. Well, you're my ideal worker. Oh, you're my <laughs> ideal worker. 
Well, until next time, keep hustling. Keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.